Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Hey, I'm Ryan Mallory, and this is my Swing Trading the Stock Market podcast. I'm here to teach you how to trade in a complex, ever-changing world of finance. Learn what it means to trade profitably and consistently, managing risk, avoiding the pitfalls of trading, and most importantly, to let those winners run wild. You can succeed at the stock market, and I'm ready to show you how. Hey, everybody. This is Ryan Mallory with Swing Trading the Stock Market. In today's episode, we're going to talk about head fakes versus breakouts. How can you tell the difference between the two? You've seen a lot in this market this year that looks like it's a legit breakout, only to see the next day the market gives up all of its gains, and you're losing money on the position instead of what you anticipated was to make a good deal of money. So we're going to talk about that. How have I been able to, not perfectly, but to a pretty decent extent this year, I've been able to avoid a lot of the unnecessary trades that involve breakouts, but then they turn into head fakes and not necessarily a breakout. So that's the thing that we're talking about. This email comes from a guy, we're going to call him Cletus. Cletus writes, Hey Ryan, the market has been really choppy as of late. There have been times where we broke through the June lows and then bounced back. Also to the upside, we have broken through a few resistance levels just to fall back down. I have been waiting to play one of these, but basically have broke even since none of them really went anywhere. I noticed that you didn't even attempt to trade any of them, which leads me to believe you can see something that I can't. How can you tell me the difference between a head fake and a breakout? Also, one other question that might actually be related, but I'm not sure. What does breadth mean? You have mentioned the breadth of the market, and I've done a little bit of research, but haven't found any specific indicators. Is there a breadth indicator? Thanks so much, Cletus. Good old Florida redneck name, right? So before I start to answer his question, what am I drinking for this podcast? That would be Ezra Brooks, 99 proof, Kentucky straight bourbon whiskey. This has a 49.5% alcohol level and 99 proof. It's a sour mash. And on the bottle, it says a genuine sour mash bourbon made using the finest ingredients available for generations. Ezra Brooks whiskey has been the whiskey for those with a rugged spirit and taste for adventure. All right. So this bottle only cost me $22. So a lot of times with those, I'm not sure if I'm getting into like Jim Beam, Jack Daniel territory, like basic kind of stuff, but there are some pretty good ones. Like I think probably the most popular retail bottle of whiskey or bourbon that you can get is Weller's. Weller's is actually the same recipe as Pappy, except for the fact that the bourbon's stored in a different part of the warehouse and it's probably aged longer up there at the Buffalo Trace Distilleries. That bottle, I can get it for about $25 down here. Really awesome. If you can find it. And usually I can find it. So I'm not ruling out Ezra Brooks from actually being a decent bourbon here. I mean, to the eyeball, it's a little bit of a light brown color. To the nose, you definitely pick up some of the uh, caramel and vanilla smells to it. Not bad. It's, it's a pleasing. There's not a lot of ethanol smells to it, especially with it being a cheaper bourbon and it being almost 100 proof. You'd expect there to be a little bit more ethanol, but there's not. Now to the taste, 
I still pick up that corn and vanilla, but I'm also tasting a lot of that corn flavor. And then when it finishes, you get a little bit of a kick of spice, a little bit of heat, and then this like peanut flavor. So it's not bad. From beginning to end, it's pleasant. I would say it's slightly above average. I would say it's respectable. On a scale of 0 to 10, I'm going to give it a 6.9. That puts it in line with McFarlane, with Bench Proof Small Batch. Not bad company, but on the cheaper side of things. And it's respectable. Like, it holds its own at $22. There's some $40 bottles that are far worse than Ezra Brooks. And I would take Ezra Brooks any day of the week over. I'd take it over Willet, the basic offering of Willet. Take that any day of the week over Willet. So Ezra Brooks, 99, 6.9. Not bad at all. Now... Back to Cletus and what he is asking me. Again, one of the first things he's asking about is there's been times where we've pushed through the June lows and then we bounce back. Now, one of the things I would say about that, and why was I not shorting when we broke through the June lows? And why was I able to avoid that bear trap that took place if you were to have shorted the June lows, hoping for a much, much big leg lower? Well, oftentimes when you're hitting a major support level and you're breaking through it and you're extremely oversold, let's say... Like in the case of SPY here, it's dropping like 10, 15% to get to the support level with really no relief rally. And it's hitting that support level and then it's breaking through it. Is there a strong reason to believe that when you're that oversold on not only just like a daily or an intraday chart, but also on a weekly chart that we're really going to continue to push lower? That's my thought. I see it all the time where you get these big time head and shoulders patterns. You're like, holy cow, this thing is going to really have a major meltdown. You're seeing it right now with Tesla. Tesla has a gigantic head and shoulders pattern. And again, I'm not trying to get into, you know, talking about charts specifically or anything like that, because I know it's a podcast and podcasts, you know, need to be something that you can just hear. So I do my very best not to get into like the extreme technicals to where you need a chart in front of you. But just in passing, Tesla has this massive head and shoulders topping pattern, which is very bearish. And it confirmed it last week. Did I short Tesla for that? No. I mean, the stock had to pretty much drop like 30% in order for it to even break below that neckline of the head and shoulders pattern. So why would I start getting short there after it's made a substantial move to the downside and has seen no kind of bounce during that period of time? It's extremely oversold. It sets up for a bear trap where you push below the support level and then you go rallying right back, creating a short squeeze for all the retail and algos and Wall Street guys that got short on the stock just because it broke a neckline. Sometimes with technical analysis, you do have to use a little bit of common sense, right? You got to use some of the broader knowledge for individual situations. And what I mean by broader knowledge is that we have an understanding of, you know, the markets can be overbought, they can be oversold, individual stocks can be overbought and oversold. And when you can recognize that and then start to realize, okay, common sense would tell you, Tesla's dropping like 30% over the course of a couple months, really no bounce in between. It's hitting this neckline, it's breaking below it. Should I short it right there? No, because there's not a good reward to risk ratio. Where are you going to put the stop loss at? And then to really ask yourself, before we get a bounce, how much further downside after it's dropped 30% am I really expecting out of Tesla? Am I expecting another 30%? I mean, that's starting to get pretty crazy without some kind of a bounce. So then you start to realize, hey, if I get short here, I might actually be putting myself in a situation of getting just really screwed from a short squeezing standpoint. And you don't want that. So you pass on it. And I didn't just like learn that overnight or, you know, it just dawned on me one day. No, I learned that through experience. I mean, I, <laughs> I would short them. I would find a tight way to manage the risk, but it didn't mean that I wasn't going to get unnecessarily stopped out. I didn't need to take that trade. 
And so I've been on the receiving end of some nasty short squeeze simply because it broke a key support level thinking, okay, now is the time to get short, not considering the fact that maybe it had already dropped 15 or 20% over the past week or so before it got to that support level. That's why before it breaks the support level, I like to see a little bit of consolidation, work off some of that oversold nature of the particular stock or the overall market. Sometimes a nice bear flag is the best thing to get because it allows it to rally a little bit, but keeps that pattern in play without you know, going on some major swing to the upside, but it also works off some of those oversold conditions. So yeah, I'm not necessarily like a Houdini or something to where I can always tell the difference between a head fake versus a breakout, but sometimes you can put some common sense into it and just realize this is probably not the best reward risk ratio for getting into a trade. And then he said, I noticed that you didn't even attempt to trade any of the breakouts that we've seen. And then you would see that these breakouts don't go anywhere. So how did I know not to trade some of them? Well, I think there's some pessimism that you should have in a bear market, right? We're not in a bull market. We're in a bear market. What's the difference? Obvious. Market's going down instead of up, predominantly. That doesn't mean that there isn't rallies that exist within the bear market, but they tend to die out and fizzle out. Otherwise, you wouldn't be in a bear market anymore. So with an existing bear market, you got to have low expectations of sustained bounces. And remember this too. When you're in a leg lower, and when I talk about a leg lower, I'm talking about, you know, a, a the market is seeing substantial selling. You know, your day after day after day, it seems like we're selling off. You know, maybe we have a streak of three or four days to the downside. Well, remember too, just because you get a green day within a leg lower doesn't mean that all of a sudden the selling's all done and over. It can even be a 100-point rally on the S&P 500 where you get like a 2% rally. Doesn't mean that the rally's over because you will have green days and some of the most nastiest sell-offs. And then in the broader scheme of things, when you have a leg lower, what follows is usually a bear market rally. And so we're setting up for a bear market rally because we've seen some pretty serious selling from late August to September to some of this October here so far. So it would seem appropriate for us to get that bull market rally. But you have to have a show me mentality. Show me. The market needs to show you that it's willing to bounce. One day usually doesn't do it. When I recorded this podcast, it's October 17th. We have only seen a two-day rally since September 12th once. Only once. Every other green day has been followed up with red days. So we just had a big green day today where the market rallied, you know, almost 100 points to the upside, about two and a half percent overall on the S&P 500. I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it at all. It doesn't mean that I don't think that it can't rally in the days that follow. But we gapped higher on a Monday morning to the tune of about 70 points. And we just kept rallying till we finished at about 90 plus points higher on the day. OK, now let's see if it can continue that tomorrow. Because so far, over the last five weeks, we haven't seen that. So the market needs to show me that it can. It needs to break some technical barriers. It's struggling with some downtrend lines. It's struggling with some moving averages. Let's see how it does with those in the days to follow. Can it break through those moving averages? Can it break through those downtrends and establish itself as, okay, the tide's starting to shift in the very short term or near term, and we're setting ourselves up for a market bounce. And if that's the case, then yeah, I don't mind playing it as long as I can get into a trade that doesn't overexpose me to the downside. Like, for instance, I might like the trade set up on Amazon, but if it has earnings in a couple of days, I'm not going to play that. That's too much risk. I might do it on the S&P 500 and instead of the NASDAQ because Apple and Amazon might report after the earnings. I don't know exactly when they report, you know, if they're on the same day or not, but oftentimes you'll have the big tech stocks reporting on the same day, like two or three of them. If that's the case. I might stay away from the queues and go into SPY. Last week, I played SSO. It's a two-to-one leverage of the S&P 500. And when I played it, we had a bad CPI report come out and the market sold off pretty significantly. It wiped out the morning gains. 
I mentioned to the folks in the trading block and also on swingtradingthestockmarket.com that, hey, don't be surprised if we rally today off of the lows. I'm not necessarily saying it's going to happen, but I wouldn't be surprised if we did. Now, that's not me pulling out like the crystal ball and making some great prediction and then like spiking the ball on the fact that it actually did happen. That's me just saying that I was aware of the potential for it and I was willing to wait and see if it did. Well, it did. It rallied pretty hard right out of the open off of the lows and then it started to pull back and then I played a break of the highs of the day and it kept on moving higher throughout the rest of the day. I was like actually kind of shocked. I looked away for like one second and I'm up 3% on this trade. I think overall I ended up making like five or 6%. That was a much easier trade to take because you saw some clear signals that with the CPI report coming out and what we saw the last time we had a very hot CPI report, the market completely fell apart. We were extremely oversold coming into the CPI report Yet the CPI report was still hot. We sold off initially, but it made sense why we did rally because we pretty much exhausted all the selling and it created this conditions for a little bit of a dead cat bounce there. Now, I was pretty stoked after Friday. I was thinking to myself, man, this is great. I'm up about 6%. I still had two thirds of a position. I sold about a third of it for a total of about 6% as well. So I was feeling pretty good about that. Then the next day comes, the market opens up about 1% higher and spends the rest of the day selling off. What do I have to do? I have to go ahead and get out of the trade. I get out with about a 4.5% profit overall, which is still great. On a failed dead cat bounce, take that all day. But there was the expectation there, and maybe I'm veering off into a different subject here, but it's still probably worth talking about just because it's such a unique current event situation here. And it was talking about a bounce that I did play versus the many that I have not played. And they actually turned out not to be that great of bounces. But in this particular one, I played it and then it did fail. And the problem there was, is that I had the expectation that it was going to continue to rally. It was setting up after Thursday for a decent bounce to continue to the upside. And then we had this nasty sell-off the next day and I had the choice. Okay, I can continue to risk my profits I've already taken one third off the table, but this rally's falling apart really quick. So I went ahead and closed out the remaining chunk of that position. Now, of course, you know, the market did go on to recover off of that, but I'm not into the mood of giving back all of my gains in a bear market when I'm trying to trade from a bullish standpoint. You gotta pretty much assume that the market's not going to work, that it's not going to do well, and that these bounces will fail. And so circling back to what Cletus was talking about here, where you know, why are these things all failing? Why are these bounces not really materializing? You've really only had a couple of bounces that really sustained themselves for an extended period of time. The one off of the February and March lows, and then again, the one off of the June lows. And they took a while to get going. You know, we were still making lows as of last week. So we need to be aware of that. So sometimes these bounces, they don't just happen in a V-shaped manner. The reason why we're not getting the V-shaped bounces like we used to, like what we've seen for the like the last 14 years or 13 years, is because the Fed is not on our side. All those years, the Fed has been on our side. So you'd get these sharp V-shaped bounces. But when the Fed's not, you get, you're lucky if you're getting a U-shaped bounce. And oftentimes, it's these fake bounces that just keep going lower. And that's where a lot of dip buyers are getting themselves into trouble. They're thinking, hey, this has worked for me for 13 years. Why has it stopped working? It's simple. The Fed's not on your side. That dip buying works great when you have a Fed that's keeping interest rates at 0% and buying up the assets at every turn. And finally, Cletus here talks about market breadth. What is it? How do I use it in my trading? Well, market breadth is just simply the number of stocks that are going up versus the number of stocks that are going down. And I create a quick ratio out of it. So for instance, today there was 2,500 stocks going up, 516 stocks going down. Pretty simple math. That's about a five to one ratio, right? 25 divided by five equals five. That's 
a five to one ratio. So we have five stocks going up for every one stock going down. That's pretty good. That's really good breath, actually. You start to get into extreme readings where you're seeing like anything over eight, nine, and 10. That becomes, you know, where the trend is extremely strong. There's usually some kind of news driven event behind it. If you get a 1% higher on the day and the market has a two to one breadth where 2,000 stocks are going up for 1,000 stocks going down, that's a pretty good breadth reading for that kind of a move. But I also use it for divergences. So if I see, you know, the market going up 2% on the day and we got breadth that's like 1,200 stocks advancing, 1,800 stocks declining, meaning there's more stocks going down than that are going up and it's like a three to two advantage in the favor of declining stocks, then I might say to myself, you know what? This isn't a very strong market rally. The, the breadth isn't telling me as much. So I do use the breadth to gauge the strength of a market rally. So for instance, on a day like today where the S&P 500 rallied 2.5 plus percent, I think it was 2.6 actually, and we're having a five to one breadth reading. Okay, that's matching the kind of euphoria that's behind the buying that's taking place. And I don't just use breadth by itself, but I use a number of other indicators. But for the purpose of this question, I'll just focus on breadth. Now, is there an indicator for it? I actually use two. One is, and I use this on the Thinkorswim platform, you can use dollar sign ADVN, that's Apple, Disney, Victor, Nancy, preceded by the dollar sign, of course. And then that will give you the advancing number of issues. And then another one, do I have dollar sign D is in David, E is in Echo, C is in Charlie, N is in Nancy, D-E-C-N. So that's for declining issues. And then I just use the ratio off of that. Pretty simple. And What's also really good to use is swingtradeinthestockmarket.com. With swingtradeinthestockmarket.com, guys, you are getting all of my stock market research each and every day. That's going to include market update videos, videos on the overall big tech stocks, plus you're going to get watch lists, trade ideas, multiple videos each and every day. So it's really cool. Check it out, swingtradeinthestockmarket.com. I don't do it any justice just by talking about it. You got to check it out and you're supporting the podcast as a result. And if you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a five-star review. I do appreciate those. I take them to heart when you leave them. They really do mean a lot to me. So if you're trying to figure out some way to support the show, at least leave me a five-star review. That would mean a lot. Plus, make sure to keep sending me your questions at ryan at shareplanner.com. You can send them to me. I will read them myself. And I try to put every one of them into a show format as long as they're a decent question. So thank you guys and God bless. Thanks for listening to my podcast, Swing Trading the Stock Market. I'd like to encourage you to join me in the Share Planner Trading Block, where I navigate the stock market each day with traders from around the world. With your membership, you will get a seven-day trial and access to my trading room, including alerts via text, email, and WhatsApp. So go ahead, sign up by going to shareplanner.com slash trading block. That's www.shareplanner.com slash trading block. And follow me on Share Planner's Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, where I provide unique market and trading information every day. If you have any questions, please feel free to email me at ryan at shareplanner.com. All the best to you, and I look forward to trading with you soon.